You know, there are testimonies of God's faithfulness in this room all around. There are those whose lives have been healed of sickness, disease, emotional healings. I was just getting started with worship and got a tap on my, my arm from somebody I've come to know as Grandpa Joe. And I've seen him in the hospital on more than one occasion, and it's great to see you standing up and smiling. And that smile is always there, even, even, even in the hospital. If you don't know this man, you ought to meet him. And he can tell you his story of God's faithfulness. And there are others. There are others, and God is faithful. He's faithful to you. And Lord, I pray, God, that as we open up your word now, that your word, as a lamp and a light, would lead us, God, would instruct us, would convict us, reprove us, correct us. Lord, let your word have its purpose in our lives today. And I submit myself to you. And God, I thank you for this opportunity now as the family of God to be together in your presence. We, we love you, we honor you, we worship you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 You can be seated. Oh, I don't know about you. I don't know if it was just me, but that was just awesome. You know, it's just awesome to be in the Lord's presence. And, and we're not done, right? The gears don't shift when you open the Bible. The, the, we continue in the presence of God to, to learn and to grow and to let the Holy Spirit do great things in our lives. You know, if I could, I, I just wanted to double down on Pastor Scott's announcement about the men's Bible study. And, and I, and I want to say that something very special is happening here at Bridge Community Church among the men of our church, that we've been gathering to pray on a regular basis for years now. But there are seasons and times where, um, where you just... I don't know, Scott, I'm sure you would, you would agree. There's just something, you, the momentum is building of camaraderie and, and fellowship and, and, um, and the, just strengthening in relationship. And so, man, if you're a guy and you're on the fence because it's like, I don't know, is that going to be weird? It's a church guy thing. I don't know. Uh, take the plunge, man. I mean, what else are you going to do on Monday night, right? We all have tons of time. We're just hanging out, doing nothing. No, I'm kidding. No, but, but, but seriously, take, I would just encourage you, uh, give it a shot. You know, give it a try because there's something very significant that happens when um, when guys get together to pray. And and what I found, even even as your pastor being in that group, and it is a place where I can share my heart. I can tell guys stuff. I trust these guys, and and where we can meet together and offer this stuff up before the Lord. And that's rare. That's rare to have that kind of trust and friendship. And so um, so guys, if you're if you're um, at all available, or if you're on the fence, just teeter over a little. Just, just go over to that side. Give it a shot. It's going to be great. Amen. All right. Um, the second thing I'm very excited to announce or to talk about a little bit is uh, we have a high school trip going to Mexico, and they're leaving on Friday. Is that right? I should know because my kids are going too, Joel. Um, but, but, yeah, you can clap. There was like, yeah. Um, we have a little video that, we've, um, that they've prepared to introduce you to the team so that you'll get names, faces, and uh, hopefully have opportunity to pray. So if you have a pen or something to write with, you know, jot some names down, and um, we'd love to have your prayer support. But this is the team on video. And I'm Abby. And we are the youth directors here at Bridge. For those of you who don't know, our youth is going on a missions trip to Mexico this upcoming weekend. And we just wanted to create this little video so that you guys can join in praying for them as we go and do our outreach. Thank you, guys. Hi, I'm Kate, and I'm going to Mexico. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, and I'm going to Mexico. Hey, I'm Abby, and I'm going to Mexico. Hi, I'm Luke, and I'm going to Mexico. Hi, I'm Kate, and I'm going to Mexico. Hi, I'm Sydney, and I'm going to Mexico. Hi, I'm Libby, and I'm going to Mexico. Hi, I'm Nicholas, and I'm going to Mexico. Hi, I'm Sam, and I'm going to Mexico. Hi, I'm Miranda, and I'm going to Mexico. Hi, I'm Nathan, and I'm going to Mexico. Hi, I'm Casey, and I'm going to Mexico. Hi, I'm Andrew, and I'm going to Mexico. Hi, my name is Chandler, and I'm going to Mexico. <laughs> Hola, me llamo Bryce, y voy a ir a México. post that video if you're wondering like okay it went too fast we want names but I, I do want those that are here uh, if you guys would come forward I know that there are some that are, aren't available that aren't able to be here today but come on up we want to pray for you guys as um, you make your way out yeah yeah where's Soshi oh Soshi Soshi and her husband Sal are also uh, going to be a part of the team and uh, we're grateful that they're willing come on up Soshi yeah and, um, and as you can see, there were some others as well. And I want to invite you, if you'd like to come up, and if you're a parent of one of these wonderful-looking kids or, or anyone that wants to just come and, and lay hands on them, we're just going to commission them to go and bear good fruit, fruit that would remain. And, guys, we're just really grateful that you're willing to take that step and go and serve Jesus in Mexico. They're going to be there for, is it two days? Uh, two days, and they're going to be, uh, I know so much about everything. No, um, I'm kidding. They're, they're going to be there for two days, I did know that, and, and they're going to be working with children in a children's home, um, and kids that, that are really overlooked and, and not cared for, and these guys will be doing a VBS-type ministry and just serving whatever the needs are. And i got to say, too, on top of that, um, you all were so generous and so trusting to come and let them wash your cars, and um, and you uh, <laughs> you gave so generously. We raised $7 $1,700 off that car wash. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And um, those resources help to supplement their um, their expenses to go, but then we also got to bring a healthy gift to the ministry there to be able to just say, hey, we want to just bless you. And so that's what you guys did. So thank you for that. So come on up and, and let's um, lay hands on them and, and pray for them as they go out on this trip. Please, if you would, just you can extend your hands out as, as we pray for them. Father, we want to say thank you, God, for each one of these young people and what you're doing in their lives. Lord, the way that you're just coming alive to them. Thank you for their youth group. Thank you for all the leaders that will be going. God, we pray your, your hedge of protection and your covering over this entire team. That, Lord, as they leave um, the comforts of their home and they see a, a, a different nation and they see a, a different way of living, God, that you would do a deep work in their heart. Lord, that you would show them your heart for your people in Mexico, specifically in the region where they'll be among the children that they'll be ministering to, that they would come as ambassadors of your grace. And, Lord, that um, in doing so, God, walking in your will, they would experience the full power of the Holy Spirit to do what you've called them to do, to preach the good news, Lord. 
And I pray, God, that you would um, watch over their coming and their going. Lord, over the, the crossing of the border, let it just be smooth as smooth can be. God, for all the, the driving or here and there, um, send your angels just to surround them. God, and, and I bless them. God, we as their church family, we bless them in the name of Jesus. And we commission them to go and bear good fruit, fruit that would remain. And thank you, God, for the privilege of serving you. And we honor you together in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. 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 Thank you, guys. Thanks. All right. We are back in the book of Exodus. Can everybody say yeah to that? All right. Man, I got to say... It was a nice break on Easter Sunday. What a wonderful Sunday. Uh, God is so good, man. It was, it was awesome to baptize people and, and to see this place just bursting at the seams. Um, it was a true resurrection day. Wouldn't you agree? All right. Well, today we're back in the book of Exodus, and I got to tell you that we are coming towards the end of this book. Um, we still got a ways to go, so don't you know? Don't get too uh, anxious there. But but the the reality of it is, is we're turning a corner. And if you've been with us throughout this series, we've called the series the way forward. And the reason we've called it that is that we find that we're living in a world and in a time period where that is the question: like, what is the way forward? Right? That there are many things that we've been faced with, things that we are. Um, this word that was used over these. Past past two years, it's been overused, but it's true, that have been, what, unprecedented, right? These unprecedented events and experiences that we've had. But we serve a God who knows the beginning and the end. He knows every time period, and he walks his people through times of difficulty and times of victory. That he's the same God on the mountaintop as he is in the valley. Wouldn't you agree? How many of you have had time in the valley before, right? How many of you had time on the mountaintop before? You know, and God is faithful. There's, a, there's an experience that we have with Him on the mountaintop where it's just like, yay, God, we feel so victorious. And there's an experience that we have with Him in the valley that is so deep. And it's difficult there in the valley, but the closeness that we experience with Him is, is just unmistakable. And so when we read about the children of Israel, we find that they have this journey of, of hilltops, mountaintops, and valleys for sure. Um, if you had, had, had remembered um, just catching you up from where we've come, it's, a, it's an entire nation who has been rescued by God out of slavery from Egypt. They make their way into this wilderness wandering and this journey into the promised land, right? And, and how many of you know that the distance between here and the promised land is not as close, it's not as straight of a line as we would imagine, but this distance has a lot to do with circles in the wilderness, and every circle that they make, they learn more about the faithfulness of God and they learn how to obey God. How many of you want to be obedient to God? Yes. Right? It, it, it takes a lot of learning to be obedient to God. Why? Because we're broken, right? We're broken and we're stubborn and we have this thing called free will where we get to make our own choices about our own stuff. And God had made a promise to this nation and they were to be a light to the whole world, right? And this nation, he made a special covenant, right? And we talked about this covenant. This covenant was that you will be a very special people to me. Among all the nations of the world, you'll be special. 
It says that, that he would make them a, a holy people. And, and that would be awesome, right? If God would say, I'm going to make you a holy people. You would say, yeah, make me holy. And then you realize that holiness comes through the refiner's fire, right? And it comes through tests and it comes through trial. And it's exactly what God does for this nation as he teaches them his faithfulness. He says, I'll make you a special people, a holy people, set apart. And then he says, I'll make you a kingdom of priests. So an entire nation of people who, who would point and make the way to Jesus. And so when we're studying the Old Testament and we're talking about the people of Israel, we're, we're seeing the foreshadowing of the, the gospel in every bit of it. And so if you'll have eyes to see, you'll see it again today. And so, so we have um, this, this agreement that God makes with his people. And again, God is so good that when he says what he wants to do, much like the children of Israel, we make this statement, and it's repeated in the book of Exodus. It's this, everything that you say, God, we will do. And in those moments, especially on the mountaintop, man, especially when you just saw God take care of your enemies and, and, and justice reigns and the, the, the water is parted and you're walking through on dry ground and there's manna from heaven the first time when you like it and all this stuff. Those are those times when God speaks and it's unmistakably clear and you're like, everything you say we will do. It becomes like a chant. It's bumper stickers all over people's whatever they had to walk with. I don't know. But it's, it's like they're saying. But so quickly, after they make this statement, they fail in their ability to, to, to step up to their side of the covenant, right? And so, so God is faithful, He's merciful, and He's just. I know we can't understand any of this. Those, those crazy, you know, Israelites, they did all that. But, but, but for them, they failed to be able to do that time and time again. And yet God was faithful. And there's one thing that we have to understand about this covenant and about what God was doing. And I think that that's, it's important as we look through this book of Exodus that whether we agree or disagree with the things that God laid out. He lays out ten commandments, right? Like a moral code, a, 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 a law for them to be able to say, this is the way your society will flourish and function and your families as well. You do this and everything's good. And we read these ten commandments and go, yeah, if we were able to do that, our neighborhoods would be better, our workplaces would be better, our nation would be better. Wouldn't you agree? Right? It's not like you read it and go, what is this stuff? It's just the basics. And then he goes on and gives uh, 53 more uh, laws or case laws or scenarios to say, hey, this is how you work that stuff out in everyday life. If you remember, we went through a few weeks of that stuff. And so there's one point to all of that, that while we can't um, take and and make a comp direct comparison to each and every one of those case laws, we can step back and go, what do we learn about the character of God? God is emphatic and super clear about what He desires for our lives. He doesn't make it a mystery for us. He gives us clear instructions on what it will take to obey Him. You follow me? It's just super hard to do. It's not, it's not unclear. It just requires a tremendous amount of faith and sacrifice and truly the help of the Holy Spirit. And so that's some of the things that we've seen um, coming forward. And so where we, we left off in this account um, is we found ourselves uh, in Exodus chapter 24 
and Pastor Andy preached about that, and there was a, a lot of blood that was involved in this ratific or this you know consecration of the covenant. It was sealed. Um, Moses ascends the mountain, and he's on the top of the mountain. And you have to know that when th this is a, this is not just um, symbolic; it is has some symbolism involved. But there's something big that's happening as Moses is going up to God. Right? He's going up to this mountain, and on this mountain, his presence is made clear. There's there's thunder and lightning and, and a cloud. And so off in the distance, you can see that God is at work and he's speaking up there on that mountain. So we pick up on Exodus chapter 24 and verses 15 through 18. I'm going to just read that for you. And it says that Moses went up the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain and the glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered six days. And on the seventh day, he called Moses out of the mist, midst of the cloud. Excuse me. In verse 17, it says, Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a, a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of all the people of Israel. And Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. It's a significant amount of time, especially if you're hanging out on the, down on the ground. But what's significant about it is, is you're going about your daily stuff and your camp there. When you look up, you're seeing the presence and the glory of God. It's within your view. But you're not experiencing it, but you're seeing it. And you know that your leader is up there. And there's a significance to 40 days and 40 nights. You ever heard anything else about 40 days and 40 nights in the Bible? That, that there's, there's things that happen, and it sure seems like, without going into creating um, ideas that maybe we don't know or don't know, but it sure seems as you read through the Bible, it, God does stuff in these 40 days, 40 night patterns. It seems like it takes about that time for things to be reset and reestablished. Do you remember the flood? It rained and poured for 40 days, these days, he's rained and poured for 40 days. I don't remember the words. Children of the Everyone near my age is just like, I remember that song. The rest of you guys, I don't even think it's on YouTube. But anyways, those 40 days and 40 nights, God was, was reestablishing his righteousness in the land. You remember Jesus goes into the wilderness in the start of his ministry, and, and he establishes this intimacy with God, fights the devil, and, and, and emerges victorious and begins his earthly ministry. And so something big is happening up on this mountain. And while something really big is happening up in the mountain, um, and I'll tell you what it is in just a second, the people um, down below, I almost said downstairs, but down, down the mountain, they're looking up and, man, they're impatient. They're like, God, it is taking you way too long. I'm not into 40 days and 40 nights. Can we do like four, you know? And so they're, they're doing their own thing. And, and, um, and, you know, later in Exodus we read that as they are waiting for the instructions for God, to tell them how to have a tabernacle, a place where God's presence would dwell among his people. That's what was going on up there. And that's what we're going to get into. We're going to get into some of these blueprints and things that God had in mind. So God's giving really specific instructions. And the significance is he's giving instructions as to how he will dwell among his people. And while he's doing that, the people are like, taking a long time, Moses. Getting bored, Moses. Yeah, I can see, obviously, there's fire and stuff going on, and your glory is on the mountain, God, but you know what? Forget it. Let's just cash in all our jewelry and beg Aaron to make us an idol and say that the idol's the one that got us out of Egypt, and let's worship the thing. Can you even believe this stuff? 
What about us, though, right? What about those times when we're just like, God, you're taking a little too long. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to help you out, take some matters into my own hands, and Christianize it. I'm just going to say that the Lord did this, or God said it, or he blessed this, or you know, the, the, something fell out of the sky in a certain moment, and it was a confirmation that I'm supposed to do X, Y, or Z, instead of just waiting upon the Lord. I know that stings a little bit, but it sure stings in, in, in my heart as well. But before we get too um, critical of the children of Israel, we have to look at what's being addressed as the human will and the human nature. The very thing that Jesus fought in the garden when he was saying, Oh, let the cup pass, you know, but not my will, yours be done. And telling his own guys who are falling asleep and couldn't pray with them, like, Hey guys, the spirit is willing, but what? The flesh is so very weak. And this is what we see in this interchange and as we, we continue on. And so where we, where we want to land and get into some of the, the next, um, the 25th chapter is about the tabernacle. Everybody say tabernacle. Tabernacle, tabernacle was a constant reminder to the, the people of Israel that God was there and he was among them. And it was a special place. It was a special tent, really. But it was kind of like a, a temporary structure. It was different than all the other tents that they had. It had some really specific things that were involved with it. And we're going to talk some about that today. But this thing was able to be broken down and then set up again. And, and every, every step of it um, was something that would, would help them to have their sins atoned for, to, to have a relationship with God, but then to be aware of the fact that God was with them and His presence was dwelling among them. Um, for your own study, you can kind of look into some of that because what happens is a lot of repetition in Exodus, and I'll, I'll read some of this, but God gives really specific blueprints. He tells what kind of materials He wants, how He wants it done. He gives measurements. He gives um, items of furniture that belong in that place and where they're to be placed and how things are supposed to work. And so as we read Exodus, we'll read like chapter 25, 26, 27, and then you'll jump forward. And then in like uh, corresponding chapters, like 37, 38, and 39 are basically like God says to do this. And then there's the record of, and then we did this, this, and this. It's like the exact repetition. You follow me? And so you'll see that in there of of God's instructions, but also the account of the people um, doing it. But the key theme is, is um, to remember that there was an invitation to enter into a covenant relationship with God. And the people were in agreement that they wanted that too. This is what God was all about. I want to know you. I want you to be my special people. I want relationship with you. And this is the same mission of God now. This is what he wants with each one of us. And it is a very real relationship as we'll see. So let's get back into it. Chapter 25 verse 1. It starts with this. The Lord said to Moses... Speak to the people of Israel that they are to take for me a contribution from every man whose heart moves him. You shall receive the contribution for me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from me, or from them, excuse me. Gold, silver, bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns of fine twine linen, goat's hair, tanned rams, skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, Spices for the anointing oil and for fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones setting for setting for the ephod and the breastplate, excuse me, breastpiece. Verse 8, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. And listen to verse 9. Exactly. Everybody say exactly. Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all its furniture 
so you shall make it. So this first part is just such a great um, opportunity to talk about money. Everybody good with that? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I, I thought that would be much funnier for you and like nobody. The first part that he talks about though is a contribution. And you know, the, um, the interesting thing as you read this, it was so good to, to understand the heart of God and the heart of God throughout Scripture. And I think that... Um, you know, it's fitting right around this time where we've all written checks to pay our taxes and, you know, and, and money is something that is very precious to us. It's a tool that requires us to live and so forth. And God just right out of the gate says, with all the treasures that I give you, I want you to contribute into this sanctuary, this tabernacle that I'm going to create for you. Actually, you're going to do it, but I'm going to tell you exactly how to do it. And so the great part about this whole thing is where it begins to take the pressure off of the moment. Is he says, look, I want those who, whose hearts move them to receive a contribution for me. It wasn't like, hey, guys, we got this huge project. And I know I'm God and stuff like that, but we're going to need you guys to kick in because if we're going to get this thing done, I need money from everybody. I'm going to need your gold. I'm going to need your silver and your bronze. There's nothing in that tone at all. How many of you have been in those uncomfortable situations where you feel like, oh man, I thought I was going out to dinner and now I'm like compelled to have to like buy your product or whatever else. Otherwise, all the children in the world will suffer. There's something that we've gotten desperately wrong about this whole idea of what contribution really means, right? Number one, I think we've gotten it wrong a little bit in that we think that there's somehow a need, and if we don't react to that need, it's not going to happen. We miss the fact that we serve a God. How many of you realize that, that God is not broke, right? That's a direct quote from Bono, right? <laughs> He says, the God I believe in ain't short of cash, mister. Um, th that's the quote. But, 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 but it's very true that as we read in Scripture that there is no lack of riches with God. And so what we read about in Scripture and what we have to understand for our own lives when it comes to this area of money and contribution and generosity, that these things are invitations towards generosity. The invitation is towards generosity. Why? Because we are being formed and made and shaped into the likeness of our God. And He is crazy generous. He is generous with us. I think about that in, in very practical terms for those of us that live in Orange County. I think of those that are trying to make a living in Orange County and try to live in Orange County and to, to be faced with rent prices and to be faced with the idea of possibly owning a home and all these things. It can become so um, debilitating to think, how could it even happen? Does anybody relate with that? And, and, and I want to just tell you that as we talk about finances, contribution, and, and this project of God's presence, let's keep in mind who our God is, that God can do amazing things. I can stand as a, as a testimony to the fact that God has provided more than one time in my life, miraculously, like there is no way that, there is, that, that I should have a house. There is no way that I should have X, Y, or Z. Aside from the faithful provision of God. How many of you have a story of God's faithful provision in your life where he is, you're just, your mind is blown what God has done? It's almost embarrassing of the goodness and faithfulness of God. And so while we talk about these things and, and while we look at, at this idea of generosity and, and God's faithfulness, 
I want to speak directly to those who are like, ah, I'm struggling right now. I am on the struggle bus in that area. And just speak to your lives and to your souls that God is faithful, that God can provide. It's what He does, that He's not broke. And there are many teachings and many things that we've heard that have confused the issue. It says if you just you know, buy this cloth anointed from the Holy Land, then do this or that, then you'll get X amount of dollars in return. These are not uh, business transactions that we make with God. What, what we discover in the Word of God is that God loves a cheerful giver and He's coaching us and teaching us and inviting us into generosity. And as we do, there's a natural overflow of that generosity that we have. It meets His generosity. And there is something so contagious about generosity. Isn't it true that when you're in a situation and you find like someone, someone sees somebody's need and they like reach in their pocket and say, hey man, I want to help you out. And you see it happen, you're like, well, I want to help you out too. Right? Right? Yeah. That's what I feel like. And it's not because I'm super spiritual or something. I think that there's something to this dynamic of as we give. And so when it comes to this idea of God's presence, what he says right out of the gate and what he, what he wants to do for the people is give them the opportunity to buy in. But listen, the contribution is not for the project. The contribution is for him. Do you hear that? It's for him. All of it's for Him. You know, we say it every week. You guys have been amazingly generous. There's ways to give here. There's ways to give there. Um, if you want to give, let's give. And, and there's, there's two different ways to look at that. There's a way to look at that and look at that as like, you know, your, your monthly fee or your weekly fee to come and, and hear scripture and, and worship or whatever else. Some people have that mentality. In fact, I've had conversations. I'm just going to let it all out right now. Um, there's nobody who's in this room right now. But I've had conversations with people who, will literally, who have literally said, listen, I have paid my tithe every week and I want you to do X, Y, and Z. And, and I'm like, oh, I think you've mistaken what that whole thing is about. This isn't like Costco. Like this isn't like this isn't this isn't a timeshare, right? You're not like a part owner. Nor am I the owner. Nor do I run the business. What this is is as a, a holy movement. And when we give, we give unto the Lord. It's our act of worship. Yes, there's, there's the practical side of it. Yes, we pray often and we mean it that God would give us wisdom how we handle His resources and how we steward these things. But they are the Lord's. And so every time we give, it's like Jesus taught us to give. Like, here, you know, we're not making a big deal about it, but we're giving it to Him. And as we give it to Him, it's, it meets His generosity and something contagious happens the way that Paul puts it in Corinthians. It's this, you, reap, you sow a little, you reap a little. You sow a lot, you reap a lot. And, and, and it's not, we don't do it to, to get that back, but we experience it and it blows our minds every time. And so this is the, the start of this whole deal is this inv invitation to generosity. And it's so counterintuitive, as is the entire kingdom of God. It's counterintuitive that in your moments of need, in your place of need, that you freely give unto the Lord. What's intuitive is that if you're living in Orange County, you're living in a place where you could use an extra 10% of your income or whatever the number is that you give, What's intuitive is to keep that. What's counterintuitive is to give it unto the Lord. It's just putting Him in the driver's seat of all things. And I know that you know these things, but here we find ourselves in Scripture, and so it needs to be taught. It needs to be taught so that we understand the why. Because the why has been a little bit abused through the years, and maybe you have experienced that in your own places of worship from time to time. But even so, if it has, you can't 
omit what Scripture teaches us. You have to have a healthy view of it because it's for our benefit. And it was for their benefit to have contribution into the temple. Not only were they giving of the resources, and, and here's, here's, the, here's the super kind of almost silly part of it all, right? Where does everything come from anyways? Everything that you have is from Him. He is the giver of every good and perfect gift. Yes, you work hard, good. Honestly, we should. The Bible teaches us to do that. Yes, you have, because of your hard work, achieved good jobs and you have been able to provide for your families. God has blessed you with that. But all of it, as followers of Jesus, we understand has 100% come from Him. And so it's almost like, well, this part is mine. You know, the part I keep in the shoebox over here is mine, but all this is, is yours. This is my fun money, or this is my... It's all His anyways. And we see it right here for the children of Israel. What they're asked to give is gold, silver, precious stones. Where did these guys come from? Let's just think about this for a second. second. They came from Egypt in slavery, right? Do slaves in Egypt have a bunch of money? No, but in Exodus chapter 12, we read the favor of God was upon the children of Israel and they plundered the whole place as if it was the spoils of war and they came out with tonnage of gold and silver and precious stones. Who did that? Who has done everything good in your life? And when he asks for us to contribute back, it's kind of like sometimes we're we're put in this, oh, I don't know if I want to do that right now. And I get it. We all get it. But he's teaching us how to be generous. And so some of the principles of of generosity within this buy-in principle um, as they're constructing the tabernacle is they're not giving because there's a need. They're giving because generosity is the character and nature of God. Whenever you're invited to give, you're not giving to go, okay, man, if I don't open up my pocketbook right now, then these guys are going to fail or this is going to happen. That's not why we give. We always give out of generosity as an act of worship back to the Lord. And that's what brings our hearts joy. Um, we're not givers because of our resources. Or we're not givers because our resources are needed, but because God has all these means. Um, we should never give according to Scripture because we are being coerced or manipulated, right? Coerced or manipulated. It should be an invitation to generosity. And this is exactly how the Lord does it. We're giving as unto Him. Let's look in our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. Paul's wrapping up this um, idea about giving, and it was common in the New Testament church. Some people have an argument that we don't give anymore in the New Testament. That was an Old Testament thing. Jesus taught about it. The Apostle Paul addressed it specifically. There were offerings often taken that were given from one church to the other to keep the movement of Christianity and the spread of the gospel going, caring for the needs of the poor and the needy and so forth. And it was part part of the regular weekly rhythm of worship. And he's teaching and he's speaking into that and he says, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as give, um, excuse me, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Why? For God loves a cheerful giver. And, and listen to this. Here's the promise piece. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. Let's say all grace. All grace. 
all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. It's not just the bare minimum of getting by. It's this abundance of God that he longs to give us the grace to to do everything that he's called us to do. And that's what real relationship looks like. We are on the much better receiving end of this whole covenant thing, you guys. (laughs) He gives us everything, and then he asks us to participate in his generosity. It's not a transaction, um, but there is an exchange involved. And as we continue to read, and as you you look at the the terminology, um, it says that we're to do this for him. And and I'm not sure where I left off, but he he goes through... Oh, I read the whole thing. I'm talking to myself. I do that frequently. As you you jump back to Exodus chapter 25 and looking at verse 8, he says, Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and its furniture. This is how you shall make it. God is including us, and he does this throughout his entire mission. He includes us in significant ways, right? The giving is part of it. Can you imagine if you're a part of that nation of Israel, and this is your mobile worship place. This is where you remember that God's presence wants to dwell with you. And as you're there, you're looking at the gold that's inlaid, and you know you had a part of that. You're looking at the cloth that was dyed, and you know that you took part. Because you see, everything that they had was either with them on their traveling journeys, or it was sourced from local places. Acacia wood, for example, would have been abundant there in the desert. There was the ways to do certain things to create certain dyes to make cloths and so forth. And so your hands were involved in that process. Some of you have that experience here as you were a part of um, not just one, but two renovations that have happened through the history of our church. You know, the very first one where the um, the carpets were replaced right when, when the building was purchased, I think somewhere in 1984, and, and people gathered together and they, they moved things and laid stuff out and cleaned stuff and painted stuff and fixed stuff. And Don, you don't know anything about this, I know, but um, Don Granger, our resident architect who is responsible for literally the beauty of this place. And, and there are so many things like that so that as you sit and as you worship, you realize the, the, the reaping is that you're like, wow, I got to be a part of this. I am not just like helping God out, but I am in relationship with God achieving his purpose. And so it's not just about the place you worship. It's about the things of God. Are you following with me? This is the why. This is the why that we give and why we learn to be generous. God is including us in an, in, in, in an act of love and relationship. It would have been much easier for God just to create the tabernacle on his own. Don't you think it would have been like way easier for God just to go, and let there be tabernacle. <laughs> and there was tabernacle. But he, did, he didn't do that. He didn't do it like he spoke the rest of creation. But, but he included people. And people complicate things. Right? Yes, teams work well, but, but until that team gels, it is complicated. I have this, um, this slide, and those of you that are in the trades will appreciate this. You've probably seen it before. But these are the labor rates. Um, $50 minimum charge. 100, these are hourly. $100 if you watch us. $150 if you help us. $200 an hour if you've worked on it first. And then there was an additional one. I think it was like $3,000 if you tell me how to do my job. Right? Jimmy, do you appreciate this? (laughs) God, for the sake of relationship, He allows the complexity of all that. For the sake of relationship, He includes us because He loves us. I think that's beautiful and amazing. And so now we get into these materials that are gathered. 
I've read them gold, silver, um, and some of these things have symbolism too. The gold, the silver, the, the precious jewels, and, and so forth. Um, many theolog- theologians believe that this links back to the Garden of Eden. You see that there was gold, there was silver there, there was precious things in this garden. This is where God um, held relationship that was what broken. And now in this next phase, you, you see God continuing through, throughout history. He reestablishes relationship through the mountain where he comes and he talks to Moses. And then in the next step, he allows there to be a tabernacle, right? A place where his presence would dwell. And that for the original, for the people, they would realize something is being restored. Something that was lost in Eden, that presence, that place where God dwelled, is now being restored here on earth. It's pretty cool. There's another thing about these things that are gathered that when you're in the desert and you see a beautiful purple or gold linen and when you see something inlaid with gold, it's contrasting to what else do you see in the desert? Brown, right? Just that tan color. And so the fact that there was something special, just like when we began to worship here, something special occurred, right? Where God's, we felt in, in the tangible presence of God, that here was a, a structure that they would look at that wasn't like normal structures. It didn't blend in with the environment. It popped, right? And that backdrop of beige, you saw all this beauty. And I think that that's super special. I think it's also interesting, too, that some of the materials that were used, um, namely the first that were mentioned of gold, were also used to build an idol. That, that the people had the ability within them. You know, they were throwing off their earrings and their jewelry and whatever else to build this calf, that we have this free will to give of our offerings, to give of ourselves, our time, our talents, our treasures, to either give them into the mission of God, what God is up to, or we have them to that same, the same stuff, the same resources, we have the ability to give into things that are idolatrous, things that will lead us astray. Isn't that interesting? Same elements. It was, in, it was also interesting as you read into that, that the children of Israel, after making that golden calf, Moses melts that thing down, grinds it up into powder, puts it in water, and makes them drink it. We'll get to that. So let's read. Here, here's the stuff. And they shall make an ark. This is the Ark of the Covenant. There was a movie about it. Um, <laughs> two cubits and a half. It shall, shall be its length. A cubit and a half its breadth. And a cubit and a half its height. And you shall overlay it with pure gold. Inside and outside you shall overlay it. And you shall make it on it a molding of gold around it. And you shall cast four rings of gold for it. And you shall, um, and, and uh, I'm sorry, four rings of gold for it, and, and put them on its four feet, and two rings on the side of it, and two rings on the other side of it. And you shall make poles of acacia wood, and overlay them with gold. And you shall put the poles into the rings and on the sides of the ark to carry them, um, to carry them by. And the poles shall remain in the ark, and they shall not be taken from it. And you shall put the ark of the test, into the ark the testimony that I shall give you. And you shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two, cu- two cubits and a half shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its breadth. 
and you shall make two cherubim. Again, some of this imagery is why they think it's clear, um, it's an allusion back to the Garden of Eden. Why? Because there was cherubim that, that were there also guarding the garden. But anyways, I go on. It says that you shall make two cherubim of gold and hammered work you shall make them. And on the two ends of the mercy seat, um, make one cherub on one end of, and, and one cherub on the other end. Um, there's going to be a test about this, so pay attention. Of one piece um, with the mercy seat, you shall make the cherubim on its two ends. The cherubim shall spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings. Their faces one to another towards the mercy seat shall their faces be. And you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and the ark um, you shall put the testimony that I give you. There I will meet with you from far above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, and on the ark of the testimony I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. And then it goes on and says, You shall take, you shall make a table of acacia wood, two cubits in, in length and a cubit in, uh, in breadth and a cubit and a half in height. And you shall overlay it with pure gold and make a molding around it. You see, like, even the way that he's giving these instructions, it has pattern and it has symmetry and it has, um, it matches with this beauty that God is, 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 is designing and then giving to the hands of people to make it happen. It's a great picture of how God is doing relationship with us. It goes on in verse 26, And you shall make four gold rings and fasten the rings on the four corners, and it will have four legs. Close to the frame the rings shall lie as holders, the poles to carry the table. And you shall make the poles out of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, and the table shall be carried by these. And you shall make its pieces and dishes for incense and flagons and bowls and, um, to pour which people can drink. And offerings you shall, um, you shall make for them pure gold, and you shall set the bread of the presence on the table. And this is the last part of this chapter of the furnishings. It says, You shall make a, a lampstand of pure gold, and the lamp shall be made of hammered work. Its base and its stem and its cups and its calyxes um, and its flowers shall be of one piece. Again, the, the, the case for imagery within the garden with these flowers. And there shall be six branches. Uh, remember there was trees there too. And, and the six branches going out of the sides of the three branches of the lampstand. And out of one stand um, and its three branches of lampstand out of it the other side. Three cups will be made of almond blossom. One with calyx and flowers. And, and flower. And one branch uh, and three cups uh, made like almond blossom with calyx and flower on the other branch. And for the six branches going out of the lampstand. And the lampstand um, itself shall be four cups like almond blossoms. There's a lot of cups and blossoms going on. Are you guys tracking? And the calyxes and flowers and, a, and, the, and, um, and a bunch of other stuff. In verse 36, the calyxes and their branches shall be of one piece with it. And the whole of the lampstand, a single piece of hammered work of pure gold. And you shall make seven lamps for it. And the lamps shall be set up to give light to the space in front of it. And the tongs on their trays shall be of pure gold. And it shall be made with all these utensils. And out of the talent of pure gold, see and see that you make them in the pattern of them. After the pattern for them, excuse me, which is being shown you on the mountain. Wow, that was a mouthful. Thank you for listening. The point is this. And I wanted to read it. I wanted to read scripture because this is God's word. 
And, and as you read the detail of it, you see that God had a plan. And going back to our theme that God doesn't make mysterious what he wants us to do. He actually makes it really clear for us. It's just as you look at that, you're tempted to go, did you really need like four blossom? Can we just do one hammered cup, you know? Like, did we really need that tree stand to look like this? God, it would be so much easier, more efficient if we maybe did it out of silver, not gold. Do you follow me? Sometimes God tells us exactly what he wants us to do and we negotiate it away and we decide on our own it really should be like this, which is called compromise. And God was trying to teach his children this is what obedience looks like and I'm doing all this stuff for a big reason because if I had more time and we'll hopefully get into it a little bit more, all this stuff has so much symbolism. You read in Revelation about this lampstand. You read in the the prophets about these are tied together themes that continue to point us towards Jesus. You know about the Ark of the Covenant and the Ark of the Covenant was, was a special holy vessel that literally housed the presence and the power of God. I mean, we could do a week or more on just studying about the Ark of the Covenant. But there was something very special about this mercy seat and these chairmen and the atonement that would happen and the way that God's presence would come in this holiest of holy places. There was this table of showbread that, that had 12 stacks of, of bread representing the, the 12 tribes of Israel. And, and then we know from um, this that it was a, an example for the priests as they would go in there and the people would see, remember how God provides you your daily bread. He provided for you in the wilderness and he will always provide. He gives you everything that you need to live and then more and then you get to be generous with that. This is part of it. And all this bread was there, stacks of it. And on Sabbath they could come by and the priests could eat it. I, I imagine that the part of that bread caused an aroma that was pleasing you know, there's nothing like good baked bread. Now, there was also slaughtering happening and meat being burned, so my analogy might not be so great. But sometimes there was that smell of great bread. The lampstand itself, and I think I said this if I didn't, that Jesus is the bread of life, right? We know that Jesus is the bread of life. There's a lampstand that's ornate and it's beautiful and it holds a lot of symbolism and stuff like that. And I'm not going to get into all of that. But the one thing that I think is so important, and this is what I want to end with, The lampstand that was there was there for a practical purpose and it was to be lit all the time so that the priest could see what they were doing, right? And so it had a practical function. But just like the children of Israel could see on the mountain on those 40 days that the fire and the glory of God, that they knew God's presence was nearby, now they could see that God came down the mountain and dwelt among them. And they could see that there was a tabernacle there. And when you're in a neighborhood or when you're passing by your friend's house and you have a good relationship with them and you know it's like a pop-in kind of thing, when you see the lights on in their house, what does that mean? They're probably home and it's probably okay to pop in. And while these people couldn't go into the holiest of holies and why there was protocol and so forth, but um, right in their camp, there was this light that would burn and the people could see God is with us and his presence dwells among us. It was a constant reminder. I think that's pretty cool. Verse, um, Exodus 27, verse 20, I'll just read it to you quick. And the light, and you shall, you shall command the people of Israel that they bring to you a pure beaten olive oil for the light, that the lamp may, be, uh, may regularly be set up to burn in the tent of meeting and outside of the veil 
that is a test that before um, the testimony, Aaron and his sons shall tend to it evening to morning before the Lord, and it shall be a statute forever to be observed throughout generations by the people of Israel. The lights are on, right? God's presence is among us. And so as we, we look towards all of this, and it's, it's telling us a story, and it's painting us a picture, and it's leading us to Jesus. When you get to the Gospel of John, and this is where I end, John chapter 1 Right In the beginning was the Word, right? And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You jump down to chapter, to, excuse me, verse 14, and it says, And the Word became what? Flesh. Flesh and blood, right? Eugene Peterson's um, message uh, translation says, the, the Word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood, right? And the Word became flesh, and it dwelt among us. And, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the only Son, the Father, full of grace and truth. What's so important about that scripture is that when it says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, this word literally means tabernacle, right? The tabernacle here in, in God coming down the mountain and I long to dwell and I want a place where I can, my presence can be housed among the people. Now you have centuries later, Jesus comes to the earth, the word becomes flesh and tabernacles among us. That's amazing, right? That he becomes the very presence of God among us. Then you see this progression. Jesus goes the full distance. He, he resurrects on the cross, and then you read in the New Testament in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 3.16, Do you not know that what? You are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells with you. Listen, I grew up in church and I understood that to mean like you shouldn't get piercings or tattoos. That's how I looked at it. Because you are God's temple. Maybe that's true, maybe it's not, I don't know. But when I look at the full picture... You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. I see the progression of a God who, who made perfect relationship in a garden, but we failed in that covenant relationship. And then a God who, again, by His love and mercy, says, here, I want to invite you into generosity. Come, let's, let's together, let's build something. I'm going to tell you exactly how to do it, but you get to put your hands in it, and let's build this, this tabernacle that I can dwell there in my presence, and then more failure. And then into the promised land. Let's build a temple. This beautiful temple. My glory will fill this temple. It will be a constant reminder. And then you get a little further and you know that there's broken covenant and, and captivity and, and failure. And then you get into Jesus. I'm going to send my one and only son and he will be a tabernacle among you. And then he finishes the good work. And then we as the church, it's not you as the individual, although the Holy Spirit dwells within you, but we as the church are the temple of the Holy Spirit where our light is to be continuously on, right? Where we're, anyone's allowed to pop into our lives and into our movement of bringing the kingdom and the gospel to the entire world. But it doesn't end there because still there's tension. Don't you feel it? There's tension between heaven and earth. There's a tension of knowing that there's a good and great plan that His kingdom is coming forever. That He's coming back. It isn't a fairy tale, but that He's coming to make all things new again. That there will be a new heaven and there will be a new earth. And when we read in Revelation this, it says, I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God. What is that? 
this tabernacle. Behold, the dwelling place of God is within man. And listen, he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Praise God. Praise God. So as as we seek to apply this stuff, um, as we bring all of this to a close, in fact, if I could ask the worship team to come, because I just feel like we just need to sing to Jesus after all of this. The tabernacle was a place to house the presence of God. And the presence of God is a place where we... We, are, we engage into a relationship, right? That we don't just look from afar. We don't just look on the mountain and wonder what's going on and take things into our own hands. We don't just look into a tent and go, okay, the lights are on, but I'm not allowed in. But literally, the presence of God is housed within us, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And He has very clear instructions for us. Sometimes they're very difficult things for us to do. But God in His goodness is teaching us obedience through tests and trials. He's making us holy. And for us, the instructions are clear and we have real investment. We have investment by way of generosity. We have investment by way of saying, God, you have provided for me and I, as, a, as an act of obedience and worship, I want to give back to you and the things that you're doing. We have investment in our finances. We have investment in our talents and in our time. So we have, like, often say our time and our treasures, right? And our talents, excuse me. And so as you um, think and you process through all of this, I just want to simply ask you and invite you. I want to invite you into generosity. I want to invite you into deeper delving into the presence of God to literally do as the Bible says, to taste and see that He's good. And let it begin here. Let it begin even as we sing into the Lord, as you process through a lot of what what has been said. Um, Maybe part of the processing is, God, I heard that one part about it being really hard to live here and not having enough, and one day I'd like to have a place to live and settle. Even those things that seem impossible, nothing is impossible for God and beginning to go, God, even that. Like, why not? Look, guys, a miracle is a miracle, right? If God could provide a little bit of money, He could provide a lot of money. Why would we limit Him? If God could heal in this one area, He could heal in all of these areas. And so trusting in the faithfulness of God, who is by character and nature generous and invites you into the same thing. It's a lot to chew on, right? But let's chew on it. So let's stand together. Joe, would you lead us? God, we say to you that we love you and that we honor you. And we respond to your invitation to generosity in all that we are. Even if you need to tweak our view of money and resource and everything else, just to that elementary, simple, basic idea that it's all yours anyways and everything we have, you somehow gave to us. Let us begin from there, God. And then, Lord, when, when, when it comes to our investment into the kingdom. May it not just be the, the way that we give our, our money, but that we listen to the things that you so specifically and clearly want us to do and whatever that looks like for us in the areas where we serve or give, that it wouldn't be because we've got to help somebody out, otherwise the thing's going to fall apart. But it would be because we have been invited to minister along with you and to do it your way. God, in, in all these things, Lord, we just want to hear your voice. 
know your instructions and obey you. Or come Holy Spirit. Let's just sing to the Lord and then we'll wrap up. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so as we often do, just holding our hands out. And, and what, what's represented that we're, we're holding on to is held like flat-handed before God. Lord, just come and take it. And, and my, my deep sense is for some, it's those things that are close to our hearts, the things that seem really impossible in this present moment. Lord, the provision necessary to live in a place like we live, we surrender and submit to you. Would you blow our minds with your faithful provision? Lord, we don't want just to own big things to make big money. We want to have roots planted in the community to bring your kingdom. And so, Lord, whatever you give us, we say yes. Help us to have godliness with contentment and realize that's great gain. And I thank you, God, that we don't have to believe. We don't have to believe the scenarios that feel impossible because you do impossible things all the time. So we trust you with the impossibilities of our life. That's, that's there, God. Lord, we, we hold open our hands in those areas where we're maybe a little confused about what generosity means or maybe we've been really burnt. God, we give you that. We, we ask, Lord, for the grace to release forgiveness in those areas, to regain a healthy vision of what it means to be generous to you, unto you, for the sake of your work and your kingdom. And Lord, ultimately... As we realize it was your mission to dwell among your people in a tangible way. God, may we open up our hearts to the Holy Spirit dwelling in the temple of our lives in a really tangible way. Come Holy Spirit, fill us with more of you. We long for it. We love you, Jesus, and we honor you in your precious name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.
what he did for another. He can do it again. That means what he did for.